Thank you for taking a moment out of your day to tune into these Chronicles of Josephus. I'm your host, Michael Miano, and I'd like to just jump right into where we left off. In our last podcast, we had ended at chapter 15 of The Life of Flavius Josephus. And I'd like to pick up right there and make note of a couple things um, right at that point. In chapter 15, in verses 83, or in verse 83, Josephus says this, and it's a rather poignant detail. God, who is never unacquainted with those that do as they ought to. And what he's doing there is he's talking about how God delivered and preserved him from his enemies, from Tiberius and Galilee, etc. And he begins to detail some of the issues he's facing with John of Giscala. And this is important because, again, take note of that detail. God who is never unacquainted with those that do as they ought to. That should be something that we can glean insight from this writing and say that we should be a people who are always doing as they ought to. I remember early on in my walk with Christ, I had a teacher tell me that when we find ourselves in moment of doubt, that the best thing, the most wise thing we could do, the most God-glorifying thing we could do is to ask the question, what is the next right thing that I can do? What is the next most loving thing that I can do? Because again, God is not, he's never unacquainted with those that do as they ought to. So we should be seeking that. I know there's a text in Chronicles that speaks about how God is, his eyes are seeking to and fro, um, seeking to strengthen those whose hearts are set on him. And, and, you know, again, that's important. That's, that's such a, important instruction in our Christian lives. So those of you that are tuned in, you may ask yourself, why are we talking about the works of Josephus? And I wanted to share with you a quote from our second to third century church father, Eusebius, who's also known as the, you know, one of the early church fathers of church history. And he said this, if anyone compares the words of our savior with the account of the historian, speaking about Josephus, concerning the whole war, how can one fail to wonder and to admit that the foreknowledge and prophecy of our Savior were truly divine and marvelously strange? And that is in his writing, The Proof of the Gospel. And again, that is important. You know, when we're reading Josephus, what we're taking notice of is the fulfillment of the prophecies that Jesus uttered. Jesus had said that his coming would occur in that generation. And ultimately with the Roman Jewish war, that's exactly what we're seeing here. And What's interesting about this writing, particularly the life of Flavius Josephus, is that he gives us some details about the Roman War. Um, moving back a bit earlier in the chapters, what we talked about in last week's podcast, he says that um, he talks about the desperation of his people as they're facing this upcoming war and how they were not able to restrain the seditious, speaking about the zealots that were in their midst. And he goes on to say, I would demonstrate to my readers that the Jews' war with the Romans was not voluntary, but that for the main they were forced by necessity to enter into it. And a lot of it was done by the stirring up of the zealots. He goes on in chapter 9 to say that we are the authors of our own destruction. And he's lamenting the fact that the zealots had stirred up the people. And that's sort of where we find ourselves as we move into some of his, his issues with John of Giscala, one of the zealot leaders there in that region, and um, we see some of his disagreements, 
Just want to take a look at my notes here. Um, Josephus is in Galilee at this point. Uh, he said against John of Giscala, wants to solve the issues that they're having without bloodshed. And um, matter of fact, what I'd like to do is take us to chapter 19. And I'm going to read pretty much from chapter 19 to chapter 23. I'll just read through the details. And most of it is pretty self-explanatory. However, I'll add a little brief commentary at the conclusion of the reading. Now, as soon as the inhabitants of the city understood the perfidiousness of the people of Tiberias, they were greatly provoked at them. So they snatched up their arms and desired me to be their leader against them, for they said they would avenge their commander's cause upon them. They also carried the report of what had been done to me to all the Galileans, and eagerly endeavored to irritate them against the people of Tiberias, and desired that vast numbers of them would get together and come to them, that they might act in concert with their commander what should be determined as fit to be done. Accordingly, the Galileans came to me in great numbers, from all parts, with their weapons, and besought me to assault Tiberias, to take it by force, and to demolish it, till it lay even to the ground, and then to make slaves of, in, of its inhabitants, with their wives and children. Those who were Josephus's friends also, obviously a different Josephus, and had escaped out of Tiberias, gave him the same advice. But I did not comply with them, thinking it a terrible thing to begin a civil war among them, for I thought that this contention ought not to proceed further than words. Nay, I told them that it was not for their own advantage to do what they would have me do, while the Romans expected no other than that we should destroy one another by our own mutual seditions. And by saying this, I put a stop to the anger of the Galileans. Again, you see Josephus's intention here in trying to cause peace among his people. But now John was afraid for himself, since his treachery had proved unsuccessful. So he took the armed men that were about him and removed them from Tiberias to Giscala, and wrote me an apo to apologize for himself concerning what had been done, as if it had been done without his approbation, and desired me to have no suspicion of him for to his disadvantage. He also added oaths and certain horrible curses upon himself, and supposed that he should thereby be believed in the points he wrote to me about. But now another great number of the Galileans came together again with their weapons, as knowing the man, how wicked and how sadly perjured he was, and desired me to lead them against him, and promised me that they would utterly destroy both him and Giscala. Hereupon I professed that I was obli obliged to them for their readiness to serve me, and that I would more than requite their good will to me. However, I entreated them to restrain themselves, and begged of them to give me leave to do what I intended, which was to put an end to these troubles without bloodshed. And when I had prevailed with the multitudes of the Galileans to let me do so, I came to Sephorus. But the inhabitants of this city, having determined to continue in their allegiance to the Romans, were afraid of my coming to them, and tried, to put, tried by putting me upon another action to divert me that they might be freed from the terror they were in. Accordingly, they sent me to Jesus, the captain of those robbers who were in the confines of Potomus, again, this is not Jesus Christ, but a different Jesus of that time, and promised to give him a great deal of money if he would come with those forces he had with him, which were in number 800, and fight with us. Accordingly, he complied with what they desired upon the promises they had made to him, and was desirous to fall upon us when we were unprepared for him, and knew nothing of his coming beforehand. So 
he sent me and desired that I would give him leave to come and salute me. When I had given him that leave, which I did without the least knowledge of his treacherous intentions beforehand, he took his band of robbers and made haste to come to me. Yet did not he, this his knavery succeed well at last, for as he was already nearing approach, one of those who had deserted him and came to me and told me what he had undertaken to do. When I was informed of this, I went into the marketplace and pretended to know nothing of his treacherous purpose. I took with me many Galileans that were armed, and also some of Tiberias. And when I had given orders that all the roads should be carefully guarded, I charged the keepers of the gate to give admittance to none but Jesus, when he came with the principal of his men, and to exclude the rest. And in case they aimed to force themselves in, to use stripes in order to repel them. Accordingly, those that had received such a charge did as they were bidden, and Jesus came in with a few others, and when I had ordered him to throw down his arms immediately and told him that if he refused to do so, he was a dead man, he, seeing armed men standing all around him, was terrified and complied. And as for those who were of his followers that were excluded, when they were informed that he was seized, they ran away. I then called Jesus to me by himself and told him that I was not a stranger to that treacherous design that he had against me, nor was I ignorant by whom he had sent for, that however I would forgive him for what he had done already if he would repent of it and be faithful to me hereafter. And thus upon his promise to do all that I desired, I let him go and gave him leave to get those whom he had formerly had with him together again, but I threatened the inhabitants of Sephorus, that if they would not leave their ungrateful treatment of me, I would punish them sufficiently. At this time, it was that two great men who were under the jurisdiction of the king, Agrippa, came out of the region of Trachonitis, bringing their horses and their arms and carrying them with their money also. And when the Jews would force them to be circumcised, if they would stay among them, I would not permit them to have any force upon them. But said according to them, everyone ought to worship God according to his own inclinations and not be constrained by force. And that these men who had fled to us for protection ought not to be treated as to repent of their coming here. And when I had pacified the multitude, I provided for the men that were come to us whatsoever they wanted, according to their usual way of living, and in that great plenty also. Interesting that we see a lot of grace with Josephus. I just want to read you the little notation that I can I find here at the bottom of my book. It says, Josephus's opinion is here well worth noting, that everyone is permitted to worship God according to his own conscience and is not to be compelled in matters of religion. As one may here observe, on the contrary, that the rest of the Jews were still obliging all those who were marrying Jewesses to be circumcised and become Jews, and were ready to destroy all who would not submit to doing so. And uh, that's where we're going to close our reading for today. So again, we see a lot of grace with Josephus. We see this moment here where Josephus is arguing that all should be able to worship according to their conscience. A great passage that that reminds me of biblically, of course, is Romans chapter 14. And it seems that Josephus understood the heart of even, of even Judaism, because again, we know that he was not a Christian, but he seems that he had some Christian thoughts. Um, as they say, a broken clock can be right two times around. Amen. So, um, Perfectly, I've given you some things to think about. We're going to follow this chronicle of Josephus, um, ultimately, till we conclude the life of Flavius Josephus. 
and then we'll begin looking into the antiquities of the Jews. So thank you for taking some time out to tune into these podcasts prayerfully. You're going to continue to be edified and you're going to continue to learn more about Josephus, the details that he brings out about the Roman Jewish war, and ultimately about the fulfillment of Bible prophecy in the first century. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to tune into these podcasts.